Hello, and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about gross dead people so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Rotten Romans by Terry Deary and Martin Brown. Joining us to discuss this horrible history is Laura, librarian and known Roman apologist. Hello. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to be here. You might remember Laura from our Fifty Shades movie episode and our queer episodes on definitely the what's her name, the fucking having it all book. And also Men Are From Mars. Were you on the Men Are From Mars one? No, I missed that one, sadly. Laura, what do we remember you from? (laughs) Nothing, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) No, weren't you on a regular episode, too? Nope. What? Well, glad you're here now. I don't think so, unless I've forgotten about it. (laughs) Okay, welcome back to Laura, who we remember from nothing. Uh, (laughs) 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 Except for being being a great friend. Yes. Thank you. Outside of the podcast. And an excellent audience member at the Interview with a Vampire episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. I definitely remember that, as do our listeners, undoubtedly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So we're continuing on with Flashback Summer, which is our series where we're revisiting um, books from our childhoods or our guest childhoods or, you know, the, the childhoods of some children, certainly. So this is a book from the Horrible Histories series, which I never read any of before this podcast, so I'm going to let Laura say something about them. Yeah, uh, okay. So I read these books when I was a child, and I'm reasonably sure I got them in some sort of package deal from Scholastic, um, presumably a book fair. And this was like very much up my alley, which was lots of history facts. Uh, with a focus on, like, extremely morbid parts of history. Uh, And I feel like this has really impacted my future choices as I eventually became a history major. And uh, I feel like indirectly I can probably blame uh, Horrible Histories on that uh, interest in history. Uh, I did not focus on ancient history, although those were some of my favorite books because they had some of the grossest, weirdest facts in them. But I really enjoyed these books. Uh, that since I read them, I read all the ones that came out in like the mid '90s, and since there were a ton of other ones that came out which I did not read because I outgrew the series, and apparently there's also a TV show which I also have not watched. But it seems like it had a lot of legs, including a movie which is coming out in July of this year, which is really weird. That's wild. I feel like every book that we've read this year for Flashback Summer. Oh, I guess not Polk Street Kids, but all the other ones have been like, oh, and by the way, it got turned into a TV show when you weren't paying attention. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I never read these, but I was aware of them. Unlike the Polk Street Kids, where I was like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, I've never even heard of these before. Like, I remember seeing these at book fairs and possibly also at the library, and I might have, like, flipped through them because the format when I was reading this one did end up looking familiar, but I don't remember like actively being like, yes, I'm going to sit down and read this. So who knows? I definitely read and reread these a lot for whatever reason. They really appealed to me. I distinctly remember that the binding for Rotten Romans fell apart because it was obviously one of those really cheap 
Scholastic Book Fair books. But for whatever reasons, these really appealed to me. I think specifically the Rotten Romans one did in part because there's also a lot in here about the Celts. And there's a lot of mythology and stuff. Uh, it was a good combo, along with, like, all the stuff about, like, terrible Roman emperors. Yeah, the the kind of conceit of these is that history is gross and weird. And as a child, you, too, love gross and weird things. So we're going to tell you interesting historical facts in the grossest and weirdest way possible. Which is not, like, a terrible way to market history to children. Um, and they're they're put together in such a way that it's a lot of, like little lists and factoids interspersed with kind of sardonically funny comics that relate to what is on the page and illustrations. It's kind of like a mashup of a textbook and a mad magazine. Yeah. With a strong emphasis on quizzes. Yes. Yes. Lots of quizzes. Yes. And I mean, I love a quiz. But I will admit on this podcast that at the very end of the book, there is a test that I did not take. I did take the quizzes in the middle where you had to, like, guess which of these games was done by Roman children. Answer all of them except computer games. But I did not take the final exam. At that point, I was like, "Mm, no. Some of the final exam was a word scramble, and I looked at it, but then I was like, well, I would need a pencil, and I don't want to, like, write in this library book. Uh I can't, I can't handle a word scramble without a pencil. I'm not like a robot. (laughs) I did attempt the test, but I did not keep track of how I did. I think I did okay. I honestly, I I remembered a lot of this as I was reading it. So I probably doesn't count. Probably you already learned about Roman history. So you're cheating. An interesting, another interesting thing about these books is that they are British, which is very it's like very obvious within the first few pages to me a person who reads a lot of british stories just because of the slang that is used and even the um the construction of the sentences is very british but it is also interesting because it does mean that the book goes on to have a huge emphasis on the roman occupation of what is now britain which is not, like, necessarily a huge part of Roman history, but is covered in detail in this book. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, because I, I don't remember feeling aware when I was reading these as a child that they were from the UK, and I wonder if the copy that I had as a child, I, I'm pretty sure it had been Americanized a bit in, like, the same way that Harry Potter had some of the more... Britishy parts uh, changed around because there are several jokes in here where I was like, I have no idea what that means. I had to Google it because the slang was something I'd never heard before. And I was like, did I understand this as a child? There's no way. I, I think at least for me as a child, too, I mean, like we didn't have Internet. So if I didn't understand a word or a phrase, a lot of times I would just sort of like mentally skip it and keep going and mm, like un- understand the book around it. I felt that way about, like, I'm thinking specifically of Anne of Green Gables, which is, like, so Canadian and so old-timey, and there were definitely things, like, I reread them as, maybe in grad school, and I was like, oh, I didn't really understand, like, a big part of it is her canvassing for donations for charity for World War One, and I didn't understand what can- canvassing was. Anyway, we're not talking about Anne of Green Gables, but this is just to say I like those books, even though I didn't understand a major plot point of them because <laughs> I didn't know what that word meant. <laughs> 
Yeah, my brain would do a thing, and it was funny because Harry Potter is definitely a place where it did it a lot with like fantasy words and also like words that I maybe knew the definition of but not the pronunciation where it's almost like static would happen in my brain between the first and last letter. And it would be the same static so that I would know every time I see it, like, that was how I read it in my head the same way consistently. But I didn't, like, try to spell out the letters in between the first and last or anything or sound them out um, the way I would if I was reading it out loud. I just kind of staticked over it and kept going. Yeah. One Okay, so about the Britishness of this. Like, yes, it definitely has phrases and it has things like... You know, it, it talks about your mum, M-U-M, but it did Americanize it enough. Like, it doesn't have the, the U's and the spellings and things like that. So, I'm not totally sure. And, like, um, I got a paperback from the library, and it is Scholastic, but then on the back it says, like, it directs you to scholastic.co.uk. So, they made oh, some kind of, like, half-hearted American version of this. I really don't know. Well, mine is definitely the British edition because it has the British spelling and it was printed in London. Um, but I wonder, on page 178, Renata, do you have the, I, this won't work if you have a completely different pa- pagination, but do you have the picture of the two guys who are taking a bath in a river? Yeah, my book ends at page 136. So okay, no. well, we're not going to be able to find this. But there was one specific joke in here where I had to go and Google it because I couldn't even parse what it was saying, where it's the guy is saying, like, Romans smell because Romans didn't bathe as much as the Celts. But what he's saying is, and another thing, those Romans don't half pong. Yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, so I think they're, they must, they oh, probably you went know what? Through... Nope, here it is. Okay, wait, what page is it in yours? It's uh, 178 in mine, but I have a weird edition. I have a double edition. Okay, okay. It's page 38 in mine. I just flipped to it. He is saying that those Romans don't half pong. I definitely just mentally skipped over it and I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what does half pong mean? Uh, it means they smell. <laughs> pong smell and don't half pong means like they, they don't half pong, they really pong. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wild. Okay, well, I guess we're not going to get to the bottom of whether or not how or how much of this has changed, but it's very British, or very English, maybe. I wonder if the movie is being made in the UK, or like... Yeah, it's definitely a UK production. Hmm. This is wild. I can't believe that a movie is coming out of these books that we randomly decided to read days, I think, after this episode will have come out. It's so strange because it just like popped into my head while I was visiting when I went and uh, was in the audience for interview with the vampire. And now, yeah, I don't know. It's like we were in touch with the universe or something. The cast of this movie, Nick Frost, Kim Cattrall, Ruby Graves. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) This is like a big deal movie. (laughs) Warwick Davis, of course. I mean, a lot of other people, I don't know who they are, but uh, Kim Cattrall is Agrippina, apparently. Um, Nick Frost is Argus. I actually, I don't also remember who that is, but it's fine. I'm assuming they just wholesale invented a plot since there is no plot. Mm. Atti, a Roman teenager with brains but no muscle, is always coming up with schemes, but one of these upsets Emperor Nero. For his punishment, he is sent to cold, wet Britain on the fringe of the Roman Empire. Whilst in Britain, he is captured by Orla, a feisty Celt, 
but they eventually come to an understanding. But to Adi's horror, when he has returned to his regiment, he finds himself pitted against Orla and her tribe at the Battle of Watling Street. Yes, so none of that... Um, none of that. None of that well, in this book. <laughs> Sarah Jacoby is in this movie playing Claudius? Okay. Yes. That's great. Yep. Yes, which which does lead into the fact that, as we just said, there is no plot to this book, really. It is just, as we said, a textbook crossed with Mad Magazine. So there's not really a lot to delve into in the way that we would normally do the book report section of this. Um, But there are certainly things that I think we want to talk about. One of them, for me at least, is... um, So I taken four years of Latin over the course of my life, four and a half, really. I, it was many, many years ago, and I remember basically nothing, including, like, basically any Roman history. But there are a couple things that definitely stuck out to me as kind of like, that isn't how I really think this happened. Um, The most, the one that stuck out to me the most, because it was freshest in my mind, um is they talk about Vercingetorix and these big battles that he fought against Julius Caesar. And the way that they're described in Rotten Romans is very different than the way they were described in the episode of Ruining History about him. And Ruining History is a BuzzFeed show, so it's maybe not necessarily the most (laughs) well-researched. But it it did go into a level of detail that this did not, which makes me more feel more that that is perhaps a a clearer picture of what actually went on. Um, But there were a couple other things, too, that like pinged me as like, I'm pretty sure this was a rumor that was at one point or, you know, a, a tall tale that was at one point proven false. Yeah, there's definitely one for sure not true um, historical legend that gets reported as fact in here, which is the idea that um, Boudicca's grave is underneath King's Cross. That is not true. So I don't know. I think it seems like there are a number of like historical tidbits that are maybe fun and salacious, like some of the stuff about the Roman emperors, but weren't actually true, true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of scared to talk about this just because I feel like an unreasonable, unexpected percentage of my friends like majored in classics and ancient like Roman <laughs> and Greek history, and I never was particularly interested in that era of history and don't know, mm, I just sort of know the basics about it. So I read all of this and I was like, I don't know, this seems fine. Uh, and I I cannot absolutely criticize this in any kind of, like, informative level, because I don't know. That sounds fine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the reason that I very rarely talk about the fact that I took, like, four and a half years of Latin is because a really disproportionate number of my friends are classicists. <laughs> and I my recall of anything Latin-related is so low that I'm like, they actually know things I had, and this is as good a place as any to talk about it, so most Latin classes, I guess, teach from, because Latin's not a language that you speak, right? It's a language that you mostly use for reading or in high school to, like, make your SAT scores better. So most Latin textbooks are either, like, the classics that you translate or other very dry things like that. 
Uh, and there is a series of textbooks, and I'm going to say the name, and everyone who's ever had them, who's listening at home, is going to go, oh my god, called Eke Romani, which were textbooks that were created more in the style of, like, the Spanish and French and Italian textbooks that were used for high school language classes, where, like, you would meet a family or, like, a teenager, and you would follow their story throughout the book as you learned more and more uh vocabulary and you would follow them around as they went to more places and you would learn vocabulary about that so it was, it was like that except about ancient rome <laughs> and they were fucking ridiculous my latin class came up with like a ridiculous number of proto memes about this book and the characters and the weird ass things that we learned to say because of it and i was not super surprised to discover that uh, now that the internet does exist, there, I mean, the internet existed when I was in high school, too. I'm not that old. But now that, that kids are on social media all the time, there are so many Eke Romani memes out there. There are, like, entire websites dedicated to them because these books are fucking ridiculous. Well, we'll link to that. And I will not use this opportunity to talk about my high school foreign language experience where we all got really into a educational telenovela called Destinos, but if you <laughs> if you want to hablar Destinos conmigo, hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> there was, and I'm so mad I still don't remember how to say it, but there's a bit where the really, like, the shithead kid in the family is thinking about how he doesn't want to go to school because every day the teacher says to him, Sextus, you are a stupid boy. If you don't stop messing around and start paying attention I will beat you with this stick and we just we would it was the one phrase in Latin we could all recite perfectly and verbatim because we said it all the time to each other uh, you know like nerds <laughs> that calls to mind the fact that so Latin Romans seems to have a very adversarial relationship to teachers yes with, and parents both and parents um I felt like the teachers part of it was like largely as like a wink wink my fellow kids like I'm on your side I hate your teachers but I, I remember as a child reading this I felt that was strange because I was a very uh nerdy child and I liked my teachers mm -hmm. and I was like why would I why would I be so mean to them that's weird Okay, and some of this was, okay, so this is me coming to this, like, as an adult person, but reading, and, and I think the combination of, like, me being an adult, and him having this, like, weirdly aggressive tone, and then it being about, like, Roman and Roman culture, he's making all these talks about, like, making your teachers your slaves, and, you know, like, slavery, and it's just coming across, like, weirdly sexual in a way that I don't think he meant it to, but I didn't care for it. <laughs> I did not really get that. But, That's fine. Um... Okay, call me out. For what... <laughs> like, I don't, especially like the parts about like bathing and like whatever. Let me see if I can find something. Anyway, it's upsetting. Yeah, it was definitely like adversarial in a way that seemed way over the top. Even for kind of like a ha ha ha, like kids hate authority figures, it, it was, it was weird. It reminded me of, um, what's the James Patterson um, middle school, like middle school get me out of here? That, yeah, yeah, something what, like that. Yeah, the middle school series where the kid just is like, oh, I'm going to break every rule for 
reasons that then turn out to be unresolved trauma, but... Yeah. <laughs> God, the book was fucked up! <laughs> but so is this wow. one that we read for this. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um, it was, but it, it like, I, I found the way the book was set up was very engaging. In, in theory, I read the Kindle version, and uh, as I'm sure those of you reading the print versions could attest, is not necessarily a book that is made to be converted into the Kindle. Mm-hmm. So there are parts of it that are a little behind pictures. Uh, but I was mostly able through context clues to figure out what the ends of those sentences were. But just like the setup and like the very listicle sort of form, the comics sprinkled throughout, like it felt very I felt very engaged with it as I was going through even when it was being real weird and weird real gross yeah it's it's like very browsable yes yeah it almost feels a little bit like reading a weird magazine yeah exactly filled with real gross weird stuff I mean gross in that as an adult I'm like I don't care about how Romans wipe their butts as a child, I probably also didn't care about how Romans wiped their butts. But I do, like, fucking listen to Sawbones and watch Hannibal and I... Whatever. So, I guess on the the scale of gross things, not that much worse than things that I am reading and, and watching and consuming of my own volition. But, yeah. Yeah, like, I understand abstractly that a lot of kids like this kind of gross-out humor... I didn't even when I was a kid. You're not surprised by this. No one's surprised. I don't like it now. <laughs> um, even just things like when they're talking about the food, when they talked about how they would feed snails milk and blood, and they would, like, I guess snails will just, like, keep eating until they, like, snail explode, and then they don't fit in their shells anymore. I don't think they explode. <laughs> well, okay, they don't explode, but they don't fit in their, sh- they're, like, too fat to fit in their shells anymore. I was very upset by it. <laughs> like, and that was just like a minor, like, ah, gross, they're eating snails. But like, I had gross. Well, the Romans were not real great about like, humanely treating animals. Clearly no. Yeah, a lot of talk about things that went on in gladiatorial arenas. Uh, different ways that Roman senators have killed themselves, or have killed themselves, have been killed. And... And also, I mean, some of it was legit gross. Some of it was kind of bordered on the ha-ha, like, people are different from us, and that's gross, which was a whole other thing. Um, especially in the food part, there was a bit where they were like, for Roman vegetables, they ate seaweed. And oh, yeah. Imagine, Abby. like, two or three other things that, like, people eat now, and it's not that weird. Yeah, like, dandelion greens is one of them. Yeah! By the way, there's a parenthetical after that snail's paragraph that says, most snails will be vampire snails given the chance. Okay. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) That would be cute, though. I would like a vampire snail, because then it could be friends with Vinicula. Isn't a vampire snail just a leech, though? Oh, I don't like it. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I was imagining like a like a snail, but it's binicula. Maybe it's got like a little tiny, tiny, tiny cape over its shell. But a leech isn't cute. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, it's just a snail without a shell, really. 
That's not cute either. That's why I was so upset with the snails getting too fat to not fit in their shells, because now they're not cute. <laughs> Don't body shame those snails, Renata. I'm shell shaming them, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, what else is in this book besides snails? Probably, uh, probably something. <laughs> I they do just... appreciate that there are a number of little um, direct quotes from original sources, which have been obviously simplified somewhat because it's a kid's book. Um, but I thought that's a nice touch, although they don't have any kind of citation. So it's usually not entirely clear where these texts are coming from. But, you know, I'm always pro primary sources. I did like when they were describing all the ways that it was terrible to be a Roman woman, which, spoiler alert, it pretty much was. Um, they talked about what Roman women wore to their weddings, and I was pretty into it, I've got to say. I wouldn't want to be a Roman woman for many reasons, mostly, like, hygiene-related, mm. but they, you know, were like, oh, and, like, she wears a white tunic with a white sash around the middle and a gold cape and all these things that sounded very good, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Talking about Roman hygiene, I would love to circle back to a book that I hated that we read like months ago, um, Red yeah. Rising by Pierce Brown, I think it was his name, and I'm not looking it up because fuck that guy. Um, but that book was like a future Martian slash space society, but it was like based in Roman culture and like... Uh, and, and it's not alone. I think there's definitely other, like, shows and books that are holding up Roman cult. And Hunger Games does this, too, but in a better way, because Hunger Games is a good book, <laughs> a smart author. But anyway, holding up Roman culture is this kind of, like, ideal. And you might remember that I was deeply traumatized by the terrible hygiene in, in Red Rising, and, you know, they would just go and, like, shit in the well to disturb the others in their war games. And they wore these spacesuits that didn't have any kind of, like, even a diaper in it. They would just, like, legit wet their pants. And I just want to say that even the disgusting Romans had, like, baths and toilets and stuff. So what the fuck are you doing, Red Rising? Yeah, they're pretty well known for their plumbing, actually. Pretty, pretty well known for it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, we like our word for it is still based on their word for it. Yeah, I learned that. Aww. Which is a fact <laughs> that's in this book. It is in this book. Yeah, one of the parts of this that I remembered very well uh, was the section actually on Boudica, who it was this Celtic warrior queen, queen basically, who led. Uh, I think the Iceni is her tribe. I might be saying all of these words wrong. But she was famous for leading a rebellion against the Romans and doing pretty good for a while. And I've remembered that, like, very clearly as, like, the girl power section of this. Mm -hmm. uh, although it's actually quite short. Like, it, it was very memorable in my imagination, though. So I guess props to this book for at least uh, having some sections that uh, pointed out women did things. It's true. Women did do things. <laughs> Um, I a part of it that I got a kick out of was they had this whole like diary section of a hero from one of the British tribes that was being 
taken over, trying to be conquered by the Romans. Uh, his name was Caroticus, and it wrote out this whole, like, fucking fake diary from him of, like, him attacking the Romans and being beaten by the Romans and retreating and attacking the Romans and being beaten by the Romans and retreating. Uh, and it went on and on, and it was real dumb, but real funny. See, I didn't like that part because I found his fake handwriting really difficult to read. Yeah, the font was hard to read. I appreciate their attempts, though, to, like, personalize this stuff. There's a lot of parts of this book where it's like there's, like, a fake newspaper article or they try to do, like, a dialogue where you're from the point of view of a person, um, which actually is really effective for getting a kid to care about uh, these ancient people. Yeah, it wasn't too bad on the Kindle version, I will say, to read. But also, I do, like, fucking read a lot of comics and mixed media fan fiction with a lot of different types of writing in it. So, I mean, it's no Babysitter's Club with hearts over the eyes for Stacey. <laughs> but... <laughs> but yeah, that part was pretty funny to me. I also enjoyed the uh, Roman recipes, which now is an adult. Like, these actually don't sound that bad. I might, like, attempt one of these. Uh, we should have done that, and then we could have had, like, a little podcast party over Skype. Oh, yeah, because people love to listen to eating on a podcast. People love it. Um, I kind of meant more that. as, like, a pregame or postgame. <laughs> it's fine. Um, by the way, okay, have your slaves wash and dry the feet of your guests. If you can't find any slaves at the local supermarket or corner shop, you could always use a parent or teacher. Warning, do not cook this food yourself. Have it done for you by your slaves. Weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I do, it is cute that their recipe for spiced wine is basically like grape juice with spices. Because <laughs> yeah. it's for children. Um, also, here's, here's something super British. It has a recipe for dates, and then it says if you can't get fresh dates, then a packet of cooking dates will do. Are cooking dates a thing that we have? Cooking dates. I feel like I've never seen or heard of a cooking date. Does that mean like dried dates? I don't know. I'm going to Google okay. cooking dates. Maybe they're tinned. Well, no, it's in a packet. A packet of cooking oh, dates. Oh, right. Okay, a packet. Okay. Um, It comes up with like, if you take like a cooking class as a date for the <laughs> person you're interested in. I'm going to go with not a thing. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything in here. Mostly I'm just thinking of, what is it, the first Indiana Jones movie? Where the monkey eats the dates and they're poisoned. Ooh. And he catches it before Indy can put it in his mouth and is like, bad date. (laughs) I don't actually specifically remember that, but it sounds great. Yeah, I had never, I think prior to seeing that movie, I hadn't known that dates were, like, even a thing, so I didn't get it. Uh, And I needed to be explained uh, to me by my father that, like, dates are a fruit, and that's what the monkey was eating. And I was like, okay, well, when you say they're a fruit, now everything makes sense. (laughs) I didn't actually realize that that line was a pun until you just shared that. Uh, This podcast brings so much out (laughs) into the world. Like, not only are you learning about Roman plumbing and snails, but also maybe you'll have, like, 30-year-old movie jokes explained to you, (laughs) and you just never know. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that's interesting, too, is so this is Rotten Romans, and 
I mean, it is focused excessively on the British part of Roman history because it's a British book, but it does sort of go from beginning to end of the Roman Empire. But then there is another one called Ruthless Romans. So I kind of wonder, like, what's... Maybe that focuses on other non-British parts of the Roman Empire. Yeah, I never read Ruthless Romans. (laughs) As a kid, if I had thought that there was a sequel to this, I'm sure I would have hunted it down. One thing that struck me that is the thing that, like, does periodically strike me when looking at ancient history, but, like... To, like, look at the span of the Roman Empire, and it was, like, a real long time. But Super it doesn't long. feel that long because it was when year numbers were very small. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it doesn't, I mean, A, it was a very long time ago, and also it's like, oh, like, that's less than three digits. Doesn't, that's nothing. The... The Ruthless Romans came out in 2003, so that's much later than this one. I wonder if they repackaged stuff from this. I'm reading the Wikipedia entry about it. <laughs> it's too much. Oh, I've accidentally clicked there, and now it's the whole Horrible Histories wiki page, and not just on that one. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a ton of base. They formally stopped the series in 2013. So it went from 1993 to 2013. That's when history stopped. So. That's when yep. history stopped. We've got it all. Do we have anything else to say, or should we move on to dramatic readings? I think we can probably move on, and if we remember other stuff, we can toss it in as we go along, as we're want to doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, then let's move on to dramatic readings. So, due to the nature of this book, which we've been sort of describing to you, it is a little hard to find something to read because a lot of it's like quizzes or cartoons or handwritten diaries that are hard for some people to read. (laughs) Um, So we're all just kind of picking like a chunk of this and going with it. And I'm going to read you this um, just little piece that's titled, Did You Know? Did you know a mysterious funeral ceremony took place near London in the second century A.D.? A grave has been discovered in an underground room, but it contains no human bodies. There are just two carvings of men who look like Roman senators. Historians think that these men must have died fighting and were buried elsewhere. It seems that they did not have an honorable burial. Maybe they were traitors. Whatever the reason, their carved heads were walled up in this room to be forgotten. But one body was found in the tomb. The body of the family cat. And then there's a cartoon of a cat with a thought bubble that says, whose funeral is this? Which is not really a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of these cartoons aren't actually jokes, which I didn't know. As a child, I feel like they worked for me on some level. But as an adult, a lot of them, I was like, yeah, that is a picture. (laughs) It's like, it's a cute cat. I'm into it, obviously. All right. I am going to read a section called Petrifying Plays which does not necessarily go into all of, like, the super grossness of these books, but kind of shows you the uh, creepy, gruesome road they sometimes meander down. Petrifying Plays The Romans liked to visit the open-air theaters to watch plays. There were theaters in many of the bigger British towns. But if the plays were anything like the plays back in Rome, they would be banned today for being too violent. The actors had real fights on stage. Then, 
Emperor, Emperor Domitian allowed a real death on the stage. At the end of the play Loriolus, the villain had to be crucified, tortured, and torn apart by a bear. The actor playing the villain left the stage, and his place was taken by a criminal who was under the sentence of death. The really rotten Romans enjoyed watching this horrible spectacle. Then, of course, the Romans used the arenas as an excuse to execute people they didn't like. They put men, women, and children in with the wild animals, sometimes for the simple crime of being Christians. Strangely, it was the Christian religion that finally put an end to the massacres. When the emperors became Christian, they banned the bloodthirsty events. On October 1st, AD 326, Emperor Constantine put a stop to the gladiator schools and, by the end of the century, the shows had disappeared from the empire. Did you know the term Roman holiday is still used to describe people enjoying themselves by watching others suffering? So when teachers try to tell you the Romans civilized the barbarians, you can tell them that the rotten Romans had some of the most uncivilized fun and games in history. By the way, I did not know that. And I have never seen that Audrey Hepburn movie, Roman Holiday, and now I feel like I definitely don't know what it's about. Uh, (laughs) Is that a common phrase? Did you guys know that? I did not. Uh, I guess I did know what that phrase meant, but I read this book as a child. (laughs) Oh, shit, it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Also, why why is it strange that the Christians stopped massacres? It seems like that would make sense because they were killed during them. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure why that's strange. Ironic maybe. Mm. Maybe not even ironic. I don't No, I'm, it's not ironic. It it's it's logical is what it is. It's like yeah, ten thousand It's like ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife. <laughs> and also one thing I learned from this was Romans didn't have forks, only spoons and knives. That is true. Oh, yeah. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> If you're Roman, no. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, I'm going to read a listicle, which uh, also gets at um, the gruesome aspect of this book and also has a picture that goes with it, which I remember very distinctly and clearly. So here we go. Heads you win. Heads you lose. Heads were popular with the Celtic race to which the Britons belonged. Here are 10 horrible, brainless facts. 1. In 500 BC, the British tribespeople believed that the head had magical powers. They thought that severed heads could utter prophecies and warnings, especially if they were in groups of three. 2. Rotting human heads were stuck on poles at the entrance to a a hill fort. 3. Heads could be thrown into a lake or river as a gift to the gods. 4. After a battle, the Celts rode, rode from the battlefield with the heads of their enemies dangling from the necks of their horses. Five, the heads might then be nailed to the walls of their houses. Six, sometimes they were preserved in cedar oil and taken out years later to show off to visitors. A Roman visitor said that the Britons would not part with their lucky heads for their weight in gold. Four, the Celtic boy tribe of the Po Valley, northern Italy, took skulls and covered them in gold. They would then be used as cups. Eight, Heads featured in many ornaments of stone, metal, or wood in painting. Severed heads could be seen staring at you from the surface of tiles, pots, sword hilts, chariot fittings, and even bucket handles. Nine, because the gods were more powerful than humans, they often had more heads. An Irish goddess, Ellen, had three heads. The Druids had to keep her constantly supplied with sacrifices to stop her coming out of the underworld cave and ravaging the land. Ten, the Britons even told stories about the magical power of their heads. 
many legends involved severed heads. And uh, next to this listicle is a picture of, I guess, what's supposed to be a Celtic, uh, like, uh, house. And it is stuffed full of heads completely covered everywhere. Like when someone has like a collection and they've like kind of gone overboard or like people just keep giving them heads now that it's their thing. And there's, I guess it's supposed to be a husband and wife and the wife is saying, can't we put some of them outside? Which isn't really a joke. But. Yeah, same. I remember, <laughs> I do remember that cartoon and having that same thought. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you think about, well, like Kate was saying earlier with her weird textbook, I think just going back to any kind of educational thing, if there was any attempt at, like, levity, like, your bar for entertainment was so much lower if your textbook had just, like, any kind of cartoon or, like, anything in it. Because, I don't know. I mean, even, especially with younger kids, when they're learning how jokes are put together, do you ever read any of those, like, Twitter accounts or websites that are, like, kid-submitted jokes? Oh, you know that. And yeah. none of them have punchlines <laughs> or make sense. But, like, if you read them to a child, the child will, like, start laughing and not be able to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what but, we're yeah, saying well... is kids are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we're... We're saying it takes time to develop a sense of humor, and part of that time period is writing books with kind of unfunny jokes. Uh, all right, that's a more tactful way to put it, I guess. I do want to say, I do want one of those gold-colored col- skulls, though. That sounded that hey, sounded like I, my aesthetic. I don't believe that you don't already own a gold skull. <laughs> do you, did you look like in your storage? I bet you have a gold skull. I, there is a, a limit on the amount of skulls that I'm allowed to bring in the house, and I've hit it. Yeah, the description about how you could find, like, heads staring at you from all the surfaces, that's a little bit like being in Kate's apartment. Yeah. Listen. If you truly don't, don't have, have a gold skull, I'm bringing you one for next Halloween. Don't tell but Becca. I'm not, I'm not judging. I have a tattoo of a skull, so I'm not judging. I fully appreciate your aesthetic. Yes, I mean, I also have a tattoo of a skull, so... Yeah. Oh, shit, you guys didn't tell me you were getting matching tattoos before this podcast. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Left out. <laughs> surprise! Happy belated birthday, Renata! Wait, is you it a surprise that I have to get a skull with us? <laughs> uh, well, it's better than being left out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, great. That's what's in this book. Not the matching tattoos. The stuff we said before we got off on this <laughs> skull tangent. <laughs> you guys want to play some Would You Rather? Let's. Oh, yeah. Okay. Would you rather watch a gladiator combat event? And this is something that was described in a lot of detail that I don't think we mentioned at all. Because um, I didn't care. Um, would you rather watch that? Or a vampire baseball game? I think it somewhat depends for me on what type of event, because, like, I would love to watch one of the events where they, like, flooded um, the arena and had, like, big boat battles. That seems cool to me. Yeah, it could, it could be that, if you wanted it to be that. But I guess in vampire baseball, nobody has to die, so... Yeah, unless your particular vampire baseball game gets crashed by, like, other vampires, non-vegetarian vampires. That, that is true. I I think, I my thought was actually exactly the same as Laura's. I was like, but I do kind of want to see one of those ones where they flooded the arena and they brought the boats out. That's so just if, cool. 
if that can be my answer, then I would rather see that specific gladiatorial combat event. Okay. A lot of them, a lot of them involved, like, wild animals being killed, and obviously I'm not into that. The boat one does seem like the best kind, but I'm still going to go with Vampire Baseball Game, because that one's going to have a way better soundtrack, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'll meet you guys afterwards at the tattoo parlor. Excellent. We can get some steaks and cakes when we're done. (laughs) Would you rather be an ancient Roman soldier... Or a Martian red, which, of course, were the low lowest class people in the color-based, futuristic Martian-Roman caste system? Question mark. 100% a Roman soldier. I mean, it sounds like it sucks, but at least you got a sponge on a stick to use on the toilet. Yeah. Yes. Like, as bizarre as it sounds, uh, I think that the Roman soldiers got a much better deal than the Martian reds, whose life sounded pretty bad just relentlessly yeah. terrible the, the yeah. reds um yeah if you're if you're a roman soldier you might get to watch a play sometimes um, you only have to be a roman soldier for 25 years as we learned in this book and then you got to retire so seems fine yeah you paid two-sevenths of your wages into a retirement fund that you might survive to get and that's yeah so you have a 401k yes <laughs> yeah all right well let's let's enlist Okay, uh, last up, I don't like this question. I'm mad that I say it out loud. I'm <laughs> mad that I wrote it. Damn it. Would you rather use animal blood and snake venom to remove your body hair or use powdered mouse brains as toothpaste? Ugh. This is the rough one. I feel like at least the powdered mouse brains won't hurt the way that the snake venom might. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the powdered mouse brains because, like, it sounds gross, but as a non-vegetarian, like, I, I do eat, like, animal bits sometimes, and it's not like it's raw or anything. So Hopefully I feel you wouldn't like, be able to tell after it's been powdered? Yeah. So that's my thought, whereas, like, I have very sensitive skin, very, very, very sensitive skin, as anyone who's ever been hanging out with me in person for more than 30 seconds can tell you. And I'm pretty sure that uh, animal blood and snake venom would just destroy my skin. I would just be in hives and it would be terrible. Uh, I'm going to do the snake venom. Um, A, that sounds like pretty metal. B, man, I, I'm sure you... I'm sure it's not as bad as it sounds, but powdered mouse brain sounds so bad and so gross Mm. and just have to do it like every day like the snake venom you know i'm not totally sure what their standards were but i'm probably doing that maybe like once a week once a month i don't know in the winter not at all obviously um the mouse brains that's like every day and that's gross to me (sighs) but Good game, good game. And let's move on to some reader's advisory where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to the Horrible History series. Uh, So I said this earlier in the show, but I have a strong recommendation for the web series Ruining History. I love it. It is Shane Madej from BuzzFeed and a panel of people, of other like BuzzFeed people uh, talking through various events in history that are just wild. 
with commentary and jokes that are better than the jokes here and illustrations that are better than the illustrations here. Not that the illustrations here are great, but these illustrations are fucking fantastic. Um, There's only nine episodes, and I guess on Instagram, Sarah confirmed that there's only going to be one season, which is fucking tragic because it's so funny. But I, I would definitely recommend watching it if you are a person like me who doesn't normally like to watch things on your computer. Uh, it is on Hulu and Amazon Prime if you have those streaming to a television. It's good show. Yeah, I watched it on Kate's recommendation, and I agree. Um, in terms of books, I get a lot of people asking for, like, read-alikes for um, the, like young readers biography series like who is and who was and also a, a book aimed at younger readers and the or a series and it's like you wouldn't want to be or you want to want to live dot 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 it's like you wouldn't want to be an ancient roman soldier and it's sort of the same thing of like here's all the gross things about being an ancient roman soldier uh enjoy and so those i think are both on a slightly lower um reading age level than these but these might be something nice for like kids who grew up in that to to get into. If you can find them, these are sort of hard to come by in the U.S. now, I think. But, I mean, it's not... The history hasn't changed that much. I think, like we were saying, some of the humor and stuff has become dated or is weird and British. But I, I do think kids who like those books would overall find a lot to like in this series, probably. If you're an adult, uh, Edith Hamilton's mythology is, of course, kind of the gold standard for that. And the podcast Sawbones, which we've recommended before, but uh, gets into all sorts of weird, gross things in history and frequently does cover in the course of going over various topics, um, ancient Roman history of things. Yeah, we forgot to mention, because we got hung up on, like, the snails and stuff. They did talk a fair amount about the Roman gods and, like, mythology, which is another uh, eternally appealing subject. Uh, Laura, do you have any recommendations? Uh, I do. Uh, So, another book series that I really loved at the same time that I was into these Horrible Histories books was the Time Warp Trio by John Tiska. Oh, Um, sure. Which, uh, I feel like there's actually, there's less actual history content in those, but they're very fun. Um, they're, they sometimes feature little quizzes at the end, uh, and uh, they also got turned into a TV show, a cartoon, which I have not watched. What? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It, it must have come out, like, way after I was into those. Uh, but if you have a kid who likes this kind of book, they would probably enjoy those, that series as well. And I also have a recommendation for a podcast I like, which is... Our Fake History, uh, which is a history podcast, which focused on talking about historical myths and legends. It's somewhat of like a debunking podcast, but it also is just uh, really well done where you get a good dose of like actual history. And then it's uh, it's often very fun. He'll cover the fake histories, like the stories about Atlantis that have grown up and the history of those kind of myths and stuff uh, are really interesting. Uh, I would recommend those Atlantis episodes that he did is a good one to start with, but it covers lots and lots of topics, including uh, many from ancient history, and uh, I'm sure there are some Roman ones in there. Uh, And I'm also going to throw out a recommendation for the iClaudius TV show, because uh, it's great. It's a a classic show from, like, the pre-golden age of television, and uh, now 
it will probably give you some jokes that you'll get in the new uh, Rotten Romans movie. Gotta get prepared for that movie. It's coming out July 26th. All right. Uh, We'll have all these and probably a few other ones up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. And now let's move on to candy pairing, where uh, just like the Romans would make you some spiced grape juice to go along with your feast, uh, we'll recommend a food to uh, a candy specifically kind of to go along with this book <laughs> so my candy pairing for this book is not a candy it very rarely is these days it feels like we used uh, all but the candies I... we used all the candies years ago <laughs> <laughs> there were only five candies and we're done with them <laughs> candy is over <laughs> uh but mine is fig newtons because the romans loved figs uh, and that's basically it, because I just, I do actually really just like Fig Newtons. I like Fig Newtons more than I like this book, but enough to be like, God, I wish I could have some Fig Newtons right now. I'm 90 years old. Hello. You saying this is making me crave a Fig Newton. Yeah, Fig Newtons are, so are great. Okay, I'm going to recommend, well, I was going to say stuffed dormice, because the fact that Romans eat dormice was... Very memorable to me, uh, but instead I'm going to recommend any kind of chocolate since ancient Romans didn't have that, and you can eat it and reflect on how much better your life is than theirs. Oh my god, it's so true! And then you can brush your teeth with regular toothpaste. <laughs> uh, I now I feel like I've betrayed myself because originally I said, um, No, I'm not choosing a candy because this whole book ruined my appetite. But then Kate just made me hungry for Fig Newtons. But now I don't have time to think of a candy. So I'm just, I'm still, I'm just going to brush my teeth and go to bed. Good night. <laughs> no candy. <laughs> and uh, now it is time for The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if you were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if you are in this book. And Laura can choose which most improves the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave it in, or leave it as is. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be Hercules. Duh. I saw that in the theaters. <laughs> was it Hercules Greek? Solid point, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we didn't read The Groovy Greeks, which is another one of these. It's a crossover. It's a Greek-Roman crossover. Everyone knows. Yeah. I mean, th- there is a whole thing in this, how the Romans just, like, straight up stole the Greek gods. And maybe they it's stole true. Hercules, yeah. too? I'm sure the Romans liked Hercules. That's fine. Okay. There's probably, like, seven classicists listening to this right now who are like, you fools, Hercules, dot, dot, dot. But I don't even know what they might be saying about that, because I focus on 19th century history. I just Googled this, and Hercules is the Roman version. Hey! Oh, wait, what was the Greek version of his name? Heracles. Oh, wow. All right. So I was right. Oh, great job. (laughs) Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would be a gladiator who would free all of the wild animals from their cages and leave them out of town to peacefully dwell in caves. Okay, well, this is difficult. I mean, I feel embarrassed for the Greek blub, so I'm going to go with Wolverine because that's that's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. You know, sometimes, sometimes I worry that when I say things like this, people listening are like, that's very out of character for Wolverine. 
And that just makes that just makes me know that people thinking that didn't read that comic where he went to Africa and could communicate with elephants through his super senses yeah. and like fought poachers. Wolverine loves animals. Wolverine time- loves animals, hates poachers. Yeah. One time Wolverine there's a whole comic where he's like stalking a deer and you think he's gonna hunt it, but then he just wanted to pet the deer. Yes. Um went on a murderous rampage in the Wolverine when someone like poached a deer out of season. It's a whole thing. I just, <laughs> I just sometimes feel like not everyone knows that side of Wolverine, and I would like to promote it out there to the podcast listening audience. <laughs> Get to know Wolverine. <laughs> uh, find find him in the in his cave. <laughs> Commune with him. Yeah, have, bring him to volunteer at the local animal shelter with you for your next shift. <laughs> He'll complain at first, but he'll get into it. <laughs> uh, what do we think the moral of the story is for the rotten Romans? Uh, my... People are bad and life is weird. Very good. My moral of the story is that kids love gross shit. <laughs> Mine, uh, going along with that, is humans are disgusting. Which makes it all comes together. Yup. All right, now it's time for Dory Day's Corner, where my cat Dorothy will weigh in with his opinions about the book. <coughs> Dorothy, that's a great point. We did forget to mention that Romans introduced uh, house cats to Britain, and that was a great thing that they did. And Yeah, and I, uh, I can't say I agree about enjoying the part with the lions eating the Christians, though. <laughs> Well, lions gotta eat. Yeah, I guess that's true. Lions gotta eat. Yeah, and and don't worry, there there will definitely be like a cool statue uh, in your tomb if you ever die, Dorte. Which I don't know that you will, but we'll we'll put a pin in that. Sudden <laughs> <laughs> bummer at the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't I don't think he will die <laughs> ever uh, <laughs> do any humans have any other closing thoughts <laughs> uh, this is I, uh, this is a pretty interesting series not my cup of tea but I think I would have liked it as a kid and uh, if it was more readily available in the US I think I definitely uh, recommend it to other folks who have kids I will say several of them were available um, through the library system for Kindle, just not this one, and none of them were currently, like, available for checkout. Yeah, I mean, I got a, in my consortium, which is, like, 30 libraries, there's only one print copy of this book, which I snagged. Um, so there are some libraries that still have print copies, but yeah, a lot of them seem to have ebooks. You can definitely get them on Amazon for pretty cheap. They're available if you're interested. Yeah, or you could just go to the movie, apparently. You just go to the movie, <laughs> yes. Coming <laughs> out July 26th. We're not being paid for this. This is not sponsored content. Also... But if you want us to you want us, us to sponsor you, or you want to sponsor us, like, give us a call. Yeah, BBC, I think. <laughs> um, I also, I'm not sure that that is the U.S. release date, or if it will have a U.S. release date. Um, yeah, it specifically says release date July 26th, United Kingdom. So we'll find out. It, 
go go to your movie theater locally and ask, will you get the Rotten Romans movie? <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got to build some grassroots hype for this, okay? <laughs> and then and then tweet at us what they tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's coming out in the U.S. anytime soon based on my quick Googling just now. But if you're in the U.K., uh, there's a movie. Meanwhile, no matter where you are, as long as you have the internet, you can find us, the podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. You can find us on Twitter at worstbestseller with no S because a lion ate the S, and that's fine because lions need to eat. Uh, We also have a Goodreads group that you can access easily from our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you can find podcasts. If you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us on your platform of choice. When you rate and review us, it pushes us up a little bit in the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we may be forced to make you uh, compete in some gladiatorial games. Sorry, we don't make the rules. Or if you're a snail, we'll feed you too much milk. (laughs) Or blood. (laughs) Only if you're a snail listening to this. Everyone else, we will not do that. (laughs) Uh, You can also pledge uh, to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. If you are unaware, Patreon is a site where you can uh, pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay our editor, buy new equipment, uh, commission artists to make stuff for merch. And if you're interested in any of that merch, you can find it by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, uh, where you can get some stuff from our podcast to wear on your body. Yeah, you could, and then you could wear your gold cape over it for your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Finally, you can find me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can find me personally on Twitter at 14across. Where can we find you, Laura? Uh, can I skip plugging my Twitter? People can find me if they try hard enough. That's fine. Excellent. It's like a game. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you do the quiz in the back of Rotten Romans and you get all answers right, Laura's Twitter handle will appear in the air before you. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually part of the word scrambles at the end. So have a pencil ready. (laughs) Cool. Well, Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Uh, And we'll be back in two weeks with our final book of Flashback Summer 2019. And it is Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reed. I'm guessing on how to say her last name. And I will look that up before we record that episode. (laughs) I think you're right. Yeah. It seems the most likely pronunciation, but you never know. That's that's my moral of the story. You never know. <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.